welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hey friends, welcome to The Knowing uh, this is Jaciel here for a moment. Um, I wanted to record a bit of a prologue for today's episode just to cover some things that Allison and I didn't actually get to in the conversation. We uh, rather predictably, and as is typical, got on the topic, many, many different topics, and I neglected to actually address what was probably the most important thing for us to talk about. Um, as those of you who are regular listeners will recognize, and I apologize for this, that I haven't put out a podcast in a couple of weeks, we have done uh, several recordings um, and have several episodes ready, really, but I started to get this sort of emerging sensation a couple of weeks ago that how um, how we were structuring the conversations, how I had designed and uh, decided to structure these conversations specifically around these so-called 12 weeks of practice, um, wasn't feeling quite right. And uh, not that it was feeling terrible by any means, and I always enjoy having conversations with Allison and exploring these topics, but I suppose in comparison to maybe the episodes from last season and to the the conversations that I have all the time with friends and and clients and coworkers um, that have the quality of organic responsiveness, organic presence that I think is is very necessary um, in order for something to feel meaningful and feel really medicinal, I suppose, especially. And coming to the table, coming to these recordings with these preconceived ideas and practices and sort of an outline of what it is that I wanted to do, um, just, yeah, it just felt a little bit off. It's a way that I have uh, worked for a long time, running medicine circles or groups or courses. And and of course, you have a kind of preset idea of, of what will be addressed and, and explored, but yeah, it just, maybe it's just this time, the chaos and the intensity of what it is that we are all going through, that it felt really important to be meeting this moment and all of the energies present uh, in the moment itself and in my life and in Allison's life and offering that very human experience through dialogue and conversation that uh, will hopefully feel easier to connect with. So I hope that makes sense and and seems reasonable. Um, I promise you, if you were really set on 12 weeks of practice, it is still going to be that. I mean, in essence, really, is this is basically what we're doing all the time is saying, hey, look at this. Maybe these are ways of approaching this aspect of your life or your practice or your spiritual um, evolutionary process and healing. It's just not necessarily going to be codified and and structured in the same way. But everything that I had intended to talk about, I'm sure will come up at the appropriate time and allow us to have some conversation around it. Maybe, you know, with pulling a card or bringing, again, those energies that we each are experiencing to the table at the same time. So um, today's conversation, we dove right in, back into pulling a card. Uh, Allison pulled the the ego card, which for those of you who have the deck is it's definitely the card that um, 
freaks people out a little bit and makes them a little unsure as to what is kind of going on with the the value system of the deck. Um, you'll definitely hear more about this in the actual conversation, but I think that it was a beautiful way of getting back into these organic conversations to talk about that which is probably the most difficult thing for us as human beings is to acknowledge our own egoic structures and limitations and projections and and the way our ego keeps us separate from not only other people but also from our true selves and it's the thing that I think we are being called to um, really make peace with I suppose but be able to transcend in a healthy and conscious way and move into healthy ego structures and ways of interacting with each other rather than the wounded structures that often uh, dominate the way that we engage with each other and the world. So I hope it'll be an interesting uh, episode for you. I felt like it was a really great conversation. Um, yeah, I, I'm feeling good about this move. If you have any questions, this move away from the practices, I suppose, um, if you have any questions or you feel uh, like there's something that you would love for us to address that you were really hoping you'd get some practice support on, please always reach out to me. Instagram is the easiest way to do so. But otherwise, I'm really happy to be moving back into a place, an interaction style that feels um, meaningful for this moment. This is really the essence of this idea of the knowing and the, the the philosophy of everything that I do and teach is that life is giving us exactly what we need to look at at the every particular moment. Um, it's giving us insight and feedback and uh, any help even and and just awareness of what it is that needs to be addressed in order for us to move into greater alignment or wholeness or unity or however we want to frame our healing journey. Um, life is always giving that to us. And, and so it's learning to actually trust the process that is unfolding in each of our experiences and to respond accordingly and, and be able to really translate the messages that are coming through. So it, again, it just felt like a a good transition, good movement back to what we were doing before. So um, it's so nice to be here with all of you. And I really hope everyone's doing well. I know these are super intense times. Um, as we talk about in this episode, times when life feels overwhelming and frenetic and, and just nuts sometimes and deeply disconnected too, uh, we have a really hard time looking at ourselves and we are actually biologically programmed to not look at ourselves when we are under that kind of duress or, or stress. And so we're asking a lot of ourselves. We're asking a massive expression of spiritual warriorship to, amidst all of the things going on in our world right now, be able to pause and connect with our own um, our own awareness of, of what we are up to and how we're showing up in our lives and it is a big ask, and it's something to engage in consciously, and I, I hope it doesn't feel too overwhelming to even propose that that's what we should be doing right now. It is very easy, certainly, um, and very natural to be looking outside of us at what everybody else is doing and all of the calamities that are occurring in our world. But I do know in my own uh, insights and, and the wisdom that is offered to me through the 
beings that I work with that this process that we're going through is this navigation and transformation of our ego selves and really understanding the structures that have kept us disconnected from ourselves, from others, from the world, and uh, and figuring out how to do different. So I will uh, talk to you soon. Enjoy this episode. Thanks for being here. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Knowing. I'm CL Grove. I'm here with Allison. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. Where Allison and I can actually see each other right now. It's so nice to see your face when we're doing this. It's good to see you too. It's so nice, right? We actually usually do all of these conversations um, over the phone. We recorded one last week actually with video too, but uh, this is the first one that we're actually going to put out in the world. We'll explain that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I just, I had this thought that like the the quality of conversation, you know, where you can actually see someone's face and the, the sense of interaction is so completely different than when you're just chatting on the phone. And we always have great phone conversations, but I think this, uh, it's, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm just happy to see you. So I think this is a better yeah, format. Yeah, to see you. And I'll try to actually still use my words and not just nod. <laughs> So that's, I suppose, the thing that we could run into. As And as we were getting, or as I was getting ready this morning, though, I was like, I had tomato sauce, like, all the way down the front of my shirt. And I was like, no, actually, Allison's going to see me today. I should probably be, like, a little bit decent. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I did the opposite. I ran an errand, and then I put my pajamas back on. So here you go. <laughs> Maybe that's an indication of just how comfortable we are with each other. Tomato sauce and pajamas. So how are you doing? Um, I am all right. I feel like, again, how many times can I say everything is like sad and intense? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's just kind of like where where I live, where we live right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like, uh, I, I feel like this element of I am I'm getting closer to what is true for me, what feels good for me. Mm-hmm. And it also feels crazy to try to do anything right now. It's yeah. really vague, I know, but <laughs> it, it's mm-hmm. like, there's part of me that it's like, I feel like truth is emerging. I feel supported in some, in, in some ways from my practices, but I also feel like this world is insane and, Mm-hmm. What does it all mean anyway? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a little dramatic, but... <laughs> just a little Monday morning nihilism for you folks. <laughs> we'll just start off on the right foot. What the fuck are we doing anything for? You know? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but it is... It, it is... I, I, I concur, you know? It, it is a really... There are moments sometimes, Allison, where like I look at my 11-month-old daughter and I'm like, what are you going to have here? Like, what is this going to be? You know, and and I am filled to my teeth with, you know, optimism about our spiritual process as a collective. And and I am filled with optimism and, and faith with, you know, the process as an intelligent unfolding, you know, and yet... It is also this crazy, chaotic time, you know, where it is, it's just, it's so overwhelming in, in, in every mm-hmm. possible way. And I mean, you and I have talked about this and, and 
the reality that like, okay, you're, you're looking at this fire over here, like, oh, here's this political dynamic here. Let's talk about this. What a shit show that is, you know? And then you just pause for a moment, actually focusing on that. And it's like, oh, climate change, you know, or, mm-hmm. oh, a pandemic. Like a- every time you pause, you can actually find something else that scares the the living daylights out of you, basically, and, and deeply unsettles the self, you know? And, and that is, um, you know, I was talking to a client about this yesterday, and this is beautiful. I don't know if you've ever encountered this, this teaching, and I can't remember who it comes from. One of the indigenous elders, I think, of the West Coast, you know, and he, he, they, they talk about letting go of the bank of the river. You know, we're holding on to the bank, and, and, and the way I sort of experience that analogy is like trying to hold on to our past lives, you know, the way that life used to be or the way that normal, we used to think normal was, you know. And they, the teaching is, you know, to let go and and go into the center of the river and flow because the river is going so fast that you can't hold on anymore, you know, and mm-hmm. and like really feeling into that as an experience of like, what does it mean to let go of who we used to be? You know, as we talked about in the first episode, this this initiation process is first a death process yes a rebirth process but like it's it's letting go of what was you know and and that is the scariest part for sure I mean the the unknown you know and leaping into the void is is super daunting as well but I don't think we get to hold on you know eventually the river is going to be going so fast that like we we have to let go whether we want to or not and can we do it voluntarily you know and Mm -hmm. it is our practices I mean as you say that provide that structural supportive framework as well as hopefully the relationships that we have with um, other people on a similar path right to say okay I I'm exhausted I can't hold on like my hands are giving out you know I need to actually let go right and hopefully utilize the element of water to inform that kind of conscious surrender if it's possible. Mm -hmm. I, I think the tricky part is that it's like the antidote to how we're feeling always changes and so it's like you get going on meditation Mm. for a while and you feel good until you don't and you get going Mm -hmm. on eating well and you Mm -hmm. feel good until you don't and so it's like I feel like it's like it's like I'm working like a switchboard and it's like Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. time I think I kind of got something some other flip go or switch goes off and I have to reach over here and so it's like this kind of I can. I never really feel like I'm. I don't know in that like flow state. Yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. really the goal of what we're trying to get to. But well, I mean, I think is there a truck in your living room or is that outside? Always. It's like <laughs> beeping outside. My upstairs neighbors drag like chains back and oh, forth. Oh, you're saying it's, it's really weird. Yeah. It's super weird. It's very weird. It's always like uh-huh. one o'clock in the morning or or ten thirty oh, in the morning, wow. and I'm just like, what are you doing? That's no always doubt. so. Okay. Well, we'll eventually, just, we'll, we'll ignore that. Um, so <laughs> yes, I understand. If we are approaching our life. And what shows up in our life in terms of challenges or um, difficulties or, you know, ailments, physical pain, whatever, as problems that need to be fixed. 
we are truly approaching the world um, a very, you know, akin to how Western medicine sort of conceptualizes well-being and, and physical health, you know, and, and even psychological health is that we will pathologize what emerges as like a problem that needs to be fixed, right? And so long as we're in that mindset, Alison, there's always going to be problems that need to be fixed, right? Because, I mean, that's life, you know, is is that there's going to be something that's not necessarily um, enjoyable or, or pleasant or feels like what should be happening in this moment, right? Seem fair? It does. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so, yeah, that's true. It's like the perfectionist. <laughs> yes. Well, the perfectionist and also this, you know, it, it emerges out of that that sort of approach and, and relationship with life emerges out of a very conditional happiness, right? This happiness that yeah. says, okay, well, this is what I think that happiness is supposed to look like. And when it doesn't look like that, then I get to be unhappy, right? And, and lo and behold, it, it usually doesn't look like that, you know? So we're usually unhappy. And so yeah. long as we're still coming at our spiritual process, our healing process, our, our journey, you know, as a and as an individual spirit, with that kind of pathological mindset, then yeah, we're always going to find problems, and it's like a whack a mole, you know. Like uh, that was a visual mm-hmm. I had when you were describing that as like, oh my god, another thing here, and then I got to be pissed off and frustrated with that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I completely understand that. I experience it myself, absolutely. But I also have experienced in my journey, and, and especially working with shamanic practices, the the alternative to that sort of state of, of relationship with life is that when something is coming up, it's asking for love. And that's it. That's all it's asking for. And mm-hmm. it's not a problem it's not something that needs to be fixed. It doesn't need a name. You know, we are obsessed with naming things, generally having a drug for them, and then being able to quote unquote fix them, right? Yeah. And and we don't see that, you know, a child, and I mean, I, I, I think about I, children are very important to me, you know, and I know they are to many people, but I think our relationship with children is really important as human beings to to really be thinking about is that we have a child sitting in a room in a grade two classroom who can't sit still. And what do we do? We label that child with a disorder, you know, and Mm -hmm. we tell the child that it's wrong. And what is the child actually looking for? Love. 100% of the time, that's what it needs. It needs a different form of love than it's receiving. It needs, you know, uh, love in nutrition. It needs love in attention, but that's what it needs. It's not, it's not wrong, you know, and, and we do this. We've been doing this. This is what the colonial mindset is really all about is saying, I get to decide what is right and wrong, you know, and Mm -hmm. this is a wrong thing and I'm going to label it. And then I get to put it off to a box and, and it stays in the box of wrong things, Right. But what if that's, you know, a a root cause of most of our unhappiness is actually not seeing anything that is emerging as just asking for more attention and more love, right? Does that seem Mm -hmm. fair? It does. I think that the feeling that I get is that there's always been this kind of, you know, like don't don't spoil the child and also mm. like don't spoil yourself where it's mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. if if by somehow some way you feel just unconditional love all of the time you won't actually develop the skills that you need to survive this world and you know look at this core function. mythology you just like mm-hmm. hit the absolute like 
the functional mythology of the the colonial traumatized mindset on the head right there is to say, if you let yourself be, if you just love yourself, you're going to be a total disaster. You're going to be a wreck. Mm -hmm. You won't function. You won't be able to do anything. You know, you'll just sit around eating bonbons on the couch all day (laughs) and like being a general like drain on society, right? Like we, right. And I mean, this is this is this mythology of original sin. This is a mythology of of this wrongness in human beings that somehow we have to go then and prove that we're okay and and that we can't trust our our bodies or nature or anything. Right? We're in, we're in constant stress in this existence in that mythology, trying to say, how do I force myself to be a good person? Now, mm-hmm. by no means, and, and I mean, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, by no means does that shift in sort of mythology that I'm proposing say that we get to just truly sit around and eat candy and do nothing and not brush our teeth and whatever. Like, we do need structure. Uh, you know, like, we we have to teach our children, like, you got to make your bed, you got to brush your teeth, you have to function as a human being. But we do not have to teach them that they have to hate certain parts of themselves or that they have to hate other parts of other people, you know, or they have to you know, be really angry and grumpy when it's Monday and super happy when it's Friday, you know? Like, we have all mm-hmm. these mythologies that we indoctrinate our kids into and ourselves into that, like, this is the reckoning of, you know, of going, why do we believe those things and are they actually necessary, right? Can a human right. being be trusted to be a decent, loving organism if it's if it's actually you know free of those kind of constraints and mythologies, yeah. Well, I th- I think that it's where do you go really to learn that? Because I feel like even in kind of the general spirituality or some sort of like psychotherapeutic support, I don't know, mm-hmm. where it's like you learn to cultivate these quote good qualities, mm-hmm. but they're isn't really that I've found some place where it teaches you how to love the qualities in you that aren't favorable. I mean, totally. except for, you know, shamanic practice yeah. obviously <laughs> looks at that. But except, I, <laughs> wait a second, how long have I known you? <laughs> except for, do you actually sounds familiar? <laughs> Uh, no one said no. that I was quick on the uptake. But. <laughs> no one said I was good at teaching either. So we'll just take we'll take equal amounts of responsibility there. Uh. But it's like I mean that's not an overt that that's not that's not an overt no quality to any kind of spirituality. And maybe because that's not like a really sexy selling point of like right. love all the dark, you know. Yeah. ugly parts of you um, but, I mean, or to look this at why is, you think they're ugly. Yeah, but, it, you know, this is the basis of Jungian psychotherapy and, and a lot of, you know, the sort of new um, psychoanalytical approaches is, I mean, as Jung said, you know, the, how do you, the best way to know or handle the darkness of others is to get to know your own darkness, you know, and, and um, what else did he say? Um, until you make the subconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate, right? Is He was mm-hmm. constantly trying to direct our attention to 
uncovering, acknowledging those so-called dark stuff, but not, he didn't pathologize people. I mean, the guy, you know, emerged out of Freudian kind of, well, teaching and working with Freud and went, maybe human beings are not pathological creatures. You know, maybe we're not all just wanting to have sex with our parents and and murder our brother and sister, you know, like (laughs) maybe we are more than that. Maybe we are beautiful. Mm -hmm. And and Freud absolutely negated that possibility, you know? And I mean, this is Mm -hmm. the, the work of... Mahaili Csikszentmihalyi, you know, in flow states and really looking at mm-hmm. self-actualized people. I mean, there's a lot of research out there. And I think this is really beautiful mm-hmm. because they look at these people who who have learned how to let themselves be, in a sense, you know, who they are no longer saying, I'm a, a nasty, broken, you know, wicked thing that has to be controlled. You know, they've 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 released that mythology, and what are they like? You know, and and it turns out they're mm-hmm. a lot like children. You know, in the best way, they're they're open, they're curious, they're full of awe, they have tons of gratitude, they laugh at everything, they they're just you know in wonderment at the world. And so, uh, you know, if we designed our societal structures, our educational structures, you know, our, our vocational structures in this society with that idea of that's what a healthy human looks like, right? We would have mm-hmm. a totally different society. But we, you know, so far we have not really thought that that was the way that we needed to function. It was, you know, human beings are selfish and generally nasty and we need to control them and have lots of prison systems. And, you know, I mean, we are kind of the experiment of what does a society look like when you believe the worst about human beings, right? And this mm-hmm. is generally what it looks like, you know, is a lot of control and a lot of shame and and a lot of, um, I mean, toxic relationships with the self and other. Yeah. Well, maybe, so it's like, as you say that, it's like, okay, maybe it's not, you know, spirituality and therapeutic models maybe it's social media where it's like pop psychology and pop spirituality and I think a lot of the stuff that I guess I'm referencing is actually just like what enters my sphere in a daily way that I'm not going out to seek that it's like this kind of pop culture self-help is and and also you know activism is like holding people accountable and setting boundaries mm-hmm. and all of this mm-hmm. stuff that I think actually is also interesting and important, but I feel like it's, it is harder to find places where it's about genuine acceptance, genuine compassion. My, my hand yeah. got stuck in my hair. <laughs> now that you can see me, I'm like, I can't hide any of this stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's confusing because I feel like there is this kind of surge in people really wanting to find, and I'm speaking for myself, I really want to find answers. I really want to feel better. I really want to feel whole. And I think that unless you really go like diving deep into, you know, textbooks or or mm-hmm. this kind of really dry material, the stuff that's like easily accessible is kind of really about separateness and furthering individuality mm-hmm. furthering uh, which card did you pull today Alison? hmm funny you should ask <laughs> I, almost, I don't even want to say uh, the name uh, so it's the it's the ego card and for those of you who haven't seen the deck it has the lovely profile of a man named Donald Trump on it and this card freaks people out Oh, God. That it even exists. I mean, oh, yeah. the man freaks people out that he even exists. But the card in this in your deck 
is is the last card, and it comes as a surprise to most that it is in there. So, uh-huh. you want to tell us a little about the the, the little ego card, you know, because this is what you were just saying, Allison. You know, of a lot of pop psychology, and I'm not. It's really hard to put this sort of perspective out there without implying that I think that what is happening right now is wrong. I don't think what is happening right now is wrong. I don't think anyone's doing anything wrong. You know, we are on this journey of, um, I mean, again, reckoning with the creations that we have manifested, um, given certain sort of unconscious beliefs about humans, about life, about our, you know, relationship with the, the rest of existence. Um, but we're also, I think, at this very pivotal and, and really challenging um, point of really learning how to live well and in alignment as a species um, with consciousness and without having consciousness controlling us, you know, um, without much awareness a lot of the time as uh, as our ego selves as, as being stuck in our ego selves and the ego self is obsessed with i'm here you're over there and i know what i am you know and this is the ego self loves labels it loves diagnoses it loves pathologies it loves you know being able to conceptualize things in terms of very solid ideas you know it it mm-hmm. likes the i'm a female you're a male i'm you know this race you're that race and I'm not saying I'm not advocating for a raceless sort of perspective on what's happening in the world right now, but just to articulate that like we as a as a group, as a collective right now are really attempting to navigate our egos, you know, and this mm-hmm. is why I, I included this card in the deck because I wanted to really make clear my position on this and, and shamanic medicine's persp- position on this is that the development of the ego and the development of this phase of humanity, you know, this is not a mistake. This is not something, it's not an aberration. It's not wrong, you know, that we are doing this right now. We are trying to figure out how to be both soul, you know, me, separate me, you know, who is separate from you, and spirit, knowing that we are joined and ultimately indivisible, you know, in in a larger sort of sense, right? Is it we, we haven't done that fully yet, you know, and, and I encounter people all the time who say, oh, back in the, you know, ages, like this civilization knew it. I, I disagree. I think we've never done it. You know, I don't think that consciousness has actually been able to, you know, get to that point as a, as a shared experience where we are able to inhabit in a very whole and aligned way, both me and, you know, my relationship to the rest of the world. And I think this is mm-hmm. what we're going through right now. And we are all, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, deeply egotistical beings right now, you know, and and we know that because we are critical of ourselves and other people, we are judgmental of ourselves and other people, and we're rooted in fear almost all of the time. And that is the language and the the energy currency of the ego form, right, is, is fear. And this is Again, why, you know, the, the soul speaks in love, the soul operates through the currency of love. And so if we see things emerging in our life and we go, oh, this needs more love, we're coming from a soul-based place. You know, if we see things emerging in our life and we go, oh, this needs a label, I need to understand it, we're coming from an ego place, you know. And mm-hmm. this card, I mean, as you say, you've had this experience because I know you've introduced the deck to people and had them go, oh, like, that's not 
a spiritual being. You know, he doesn't, he's not one yeah. of us or he's somehow wrong. And there is nothing wrong in the world right now. I, I really, 100%, and I know that seems crazy to say, but like this is a process of, of transformation and growth and it's messy and ugly and it's going to be for a while, you know, but I don't think that Donald Trump is wrong. And, and in a sense, he is this perfect Wrong for existing. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah. like his behaviors, oh my God, horrifying. You know, like I, I'm not at all saying that he, just because he can he can be seen as an integral part of the system as it sits right now, that we don't mm-hmm. call him out on behaviors. You know, that's the the healthy boundary, you know, action quotient of, of relating to people like that. But to damn him as being wrong or somehow not spiritual or somehow, you know, like if he wasn't here, then the world would be okay. We've lost the plot if that's the perspective that we're having. And and we do that too. I mean, again, to go back to things that pop up in our life, we go, oh, if that wasn't here, then I'd be okay, right? I'd be mm-hmm. happy. I'd be fine, right? And that is, that's the way the ego functions. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I do want to also just put the disclaimer that we're not also some like QAnon. Trump is is here to save us all. Uh, This this is the episode (laughs) where I actually declare that I think he's the greatest light worker. Just kidding. I totally. God. No, no. I mean, I just, you know, Allison and I had this conversation previously and I don't. I don't actually believe in light workers. You know, I, I think that human beings are and all beings are on their each unique, perfect, you know, path uh, in this incarnation. Um, And we all carry medicine. Every single thing in the world carries medicine, you know, if we know Mm -hmm. how to uh, receive it or work with it or whatever, you know. And so, yeah, I'm sure that Trump carries medicine. To say that he is some savior who is busting up child pornography rings and stuff. I mean, do you know, Alison, that that actually... Is a, is a marketing rhetoric that was put out during the Second World War by the Nazis. That it no. was, yeah, it's the exact same set of like logistics, basically, saying that the Jews back then were like harvesting children and sucking their blood to like be able to live mm-hmm. forever. And it's just like this this old story that they're now regurgitating to, to support you know, support for Trump, basically. It's it's really rather yeah. bizarre and There's crazy. There's a lot of really strange echoes uh, of what's happening now between what oh, happened. Oh, back then, uh, yeah. Oh, t- era. totally, yeah. totally. Because, I mean, you know, inherent uncertainty, and you think about, like, the world back then, like, post-Depression era, and, I mean, you know, Germany was in absolute economic chaos at that point, and somebody comes along and, and is a strong man basically saying, here, follow me. I know all the answers, right? And that's what the ego says. It says, I know all the answers, you know, and and we like that. It makes us feel very temporarily comfortable to go, oh, that's the bad people over there. I'm a good person. You know, here's the right way to be. Here's the wrong way to be. And and it's understandable, you know, and we're there right now. Like, look at, again, these these calamities and chaos that we're all sitting in right now. We want certainty. And unfortunately, the ego's certainty comes through division and fear. And it doesn't come with, you know, the the kind of energy that's actually going to you know, not repeat this cycle again, hopefully, in our human experience, but actually allow us to manifest something new that's that's not mm-hmm. rooted in fear. But I think, I mean, it is something that I 
really have no distance on because I'm just right in the thick of like just looking at it, which is like how tied I have been throughout my whole life uh, to being a good person and doing the mm-hmm. right things and mm-hmm. all of that in quotes, of course, <laughs> um, where it's like I I don't know. I realize I have been telling myself I have been creating more separateness by saying like I do, you know, morally uh, whatever, better things than this person over here. And so I think that it's like Donald Trump is the massive scale of like, okay, I don't love your actions, but I can accept and one day love the fact that you exist seems Mm -hmm. impossible because I can't even do it on like the smaller scale me. Mm. And see, that's so beautiful that you can see that and articulate it, Allison, is because, you know, again, the, this idea of he who looks within, she who looks within awakens, right? When we look within, we we find, um, I'm using a lot of quotes today, but the, the quote that uh, the line of good and evil runs through the heart of every man, and I can't remember who says that, but I think about it a lot, is that when we know our own darkness, when we are willing to admit that sometimes we are jealous, spiteful, you know, vindictive, conniving, we lie, we might omit the truth, we might take more than we need, we might do all of these things, right? And because Donald Trump is this, again, caricature of like that writ large in such a rather, you know, scary way that we can go, oh, but I'm not as bad as him, right? Right. That that's actually a, a scary thing for us as individuals because it lets us off the hook, right? We get to go, okay, so because I'm not as bad as him, I get to keep judging him and I don't have to look at myself, <laughs> right? Yeah. And we don't have to look at ourselves. But if we want to, again, be able to be happy, experience equanimity, and specifically experience compassion, right? And and we'll go into this and, and articulate, you know, the type of compassion I, I always aspire to as an individual. But compassion is only possible when we know our own darkness. Otherwise, we are in either sympathy, pity, or empathy, right? And I, you and I have talked about this before, but I do not think that empathy is a functional state for people to be existing in most of the time. Because empathy is, you know, sharing the pain of another person, we can only do it with someone who we relate to, who we actually consider to be connected to us, right? We don't Mm -hmm. empathize with Donald Trump. And even, you know, I've I've run workshops before where I'll say, okay, here's here's someone's life history. Okay, so here's a, a boy... He was born to a mother, you know, his his father was gone or died. I can't remember what happened, right? Um, mother was really quite neurotic and deranged. Mother gets cancer uh, when the boy is very, very young and dies. And he, you know, this boy is, is traumatized by it. The boy, you know, recognizes that his mother was treated by a Jewish doctor. Guess who he grew up to be? Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. And so... We cannot, I will tell people that in a workshop, that here's this person's life history. But the minute they find out that that was Hitler, they no longer can relate to that little boy who was absolutely traumatized by his early experiences. I'm not saying his behavior was okay. This is like the most atrocious manifestation of human ugliness, you know, possible. 
But Donald Trump's life story is not dissimilar to that. I mean, except for, you know, having tons of wealth and everything else. But I mean, he has had horrible life experiences in terms of his parents and everything else. But we can't empathize with him because we don't consider ourselves like him, you know, unless you, mm -hmm. you are one of those listening that maybe do, does consider. It. And then you can empathize and you can go, okay, this is, we, we can feel for him, right? But compassion is more of an intellectual framework, you know, where you can say, here's a human being, and I understand that they've gone through things. And because I'm aware of my stuff, then I can I can conceptualize that, you know what, I maybe might act the same if I'd gone through something similar, right? It, it isn't actually, as strange as it seems, uh, compassion is not a heart-only thing. It's a head and heart, you know, conjoined practice of of wanting to connect with other people, wanting to assume that people are basically good, right? But then mm -hmm. also thinking about it and saying, I can I can disagree with this person's way of being and not like what they do, but I can still recognize that they are a human being who has definitely had traumas and this is how they're working through things, right? Does that mm -hmm. make sense to you? It does make sense. I feel like I feel like what makes it so hard to practice or to put into practice is that we really because then we're in the like unconditional love realm, and I don't yeah. know that um, unless you've really cultivated that, we naturally have unconditional love. It feels like in every relationship we have, it's like you know, compassion feels like. Um, you get to do whatever you want because that's kind of our view of unconditional love. Does that make mm. sense? You mean you're extending that to the other person that they get to do whatever they want? Yes, I think that that's kind of what pulls up that like red flag of like, oh, whoa, this is like, you know, you're talking about Hitler, you're talking about Donald Trump, you're talking about totally. all of these people that we put in this basket. And it's kind of like, I think it's hard to separate. I can disavow everything that you have done and still not disavow you as a human because mm -hmm. it feels like you are somehow putting yourself in that same box mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. And so I would, and that's a, it's a beautiful point, when, again, this idea that if we want to cultivate compassion, we need to cultivate it for ourselves, okay? Mm -hmm. And that is actually the hardest thing because you're right, you know, none of us grew up with perfectly unconditionally loving parents. That's not the human experience. We come to this dimension, this plane, you know, and as they say in the Hindu belief, you know, to to forget our source, to forget our unity, you know, we, we've completely abolish the memory of our own perfection, we come into this plane and, and we get wounded, right? We we separate from ourselves. We cultivate our ego self, which is, this is who I think I need to be in order to be loved, right? And all mm -hmm. of us do that. We all create this costume, this persona, you know, based on what our parents liked and what our parents didn't like, what our society liked and what our society didn't like, right? This false self, okay? And then as an adult, if we are on a spiritual journey, you know, I, I know to be true that it becomes our task to look within and go, what is it that I am doing that actually isn't me? 
And what is it that, you know, I'm, I've sort of created as a, as a persona structure, you know, in order to please other people? And do I really want to abide by that anymore? You know, what are the parts of me that I judge and I disavow and I try to separate from? And can I love them as, as part of my human self, right? And that's really mm-hmm. difficult. This is shadow integration work, you know, in a, in a Jungian psychotherapeutic sense is, is owning our own darkness, but not condemning ourselves because of it right? Actually accepting that we are a human being who includes all of those multitudes of potential ways of of being as a human being is that we are angry, we are spiteful, we are jealous, we are all of those things, you know, and Mm -hmm. and can we let them be okay in us? Because when we were a kid, they weren't okay, right? We had to break from them and pretend they weren't there and shove them down into the basement of our psyche and say, no, I'm not going to have this because mom doesn't like it when I'm like this, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not us. That's not our whole self. And the thing is, is that when we let that anger, that spitefulness, that whatever it is that we broke from come back up and we love it and we love ourselves, even though we have that, you know, because that is what it is to be human is, is we're not quote unquote perfect beings. We have an imperfect perfection just because we are, you know, but, but we have all that messiness. Then we can accept the messiness in other people and then we can actively change ourselves and and the world, right? Is that so long as we are coming at things with an, from an ego perspective of going, well, I don't have that in me, but look at you. You're such a nasty person. You know, <laughs> we don't end up actually creating the change that we want to be creating right now. We end up perpetuating and intensifying polarity and separation and, and this, you know, very dualistic kind of experience that we see in the world right now, right? Because... We're, we're not necessarily acknowledging our own stuff. And it's so easy to look at somebody else and say, but that's that person's way worse than me, right? Yeah. I mean, this might be way too out there to even, On this you know, show? Really? Seriously? <laughs> is it? <laughs> well. Are we going to start talking well, about aliens? This is the part where we start talking about possibly. aliens. Oh, I love it. It might this, be bringing this. up aliens. <laughs> um, well, the thing I've noticed is that it's like, okay, I, in looking at my natural reactions, whether they're internal or expressed, I am starting to recognize like, oh, okay, yes, that was a nice thing to do, but there was actually motives behind that nice thing to do because I didn't want to make somebody uncomfortable or I, or I didn't want right. to feel unsafe by, you know, someone feeling what da da da. So it's like, you know, these qualities that I have always held on to that I've considered good qualities in myself, yeah. I realize are kind of like on shakier ground than I like originally knew. And then it's like on the flip side, I see these kind of like, really darker energies coming up of where it's like, you know, I'm mean or just like really like aggressive or mm-hmm. whatever, have a bitch, I don't know, whatever. And I, I see in looking at both of those things that it's like, okay, those all belong to me and also don't feel real and and here's where it gets really weird we might not be able to air this um whole episode because of my embarrassment but it's like uh i it's like i don't feel like well what is even real in there where is a a true Mm. self that isn't changed and dictated by everything happening around me that it's like Mm -hmm. I, i don't actually know where point zero is 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'm an alien. <laughs> That's ultimate. <Yes. laughs> I think we I'm might all be. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, the, that's the that's the void, Allison, is, is like being in that space going, what I've normally held on to, the structures that have provided me a sense of psychological security and surety, you know, which is the, the mechanism of the ego is to go, okay, I'm going to section up the world into little parts and everything's going to make sense. And here I'm a good girl and here I'm a bad girl and here this person's good mm-hmm. and this is bad, right? When we start unraveling those in a sense if you will or we start deconstructing them there is this this place of of groundlessness that we come into of going okay what is real you know and and what is what is up and down and and who am i really you know if i'm not this what am i right you are not right. the story your family created about who you are you're not that's a tiny fraction of who you are as a whole being who you actually are is so much more complex, you know, and I mean, this is, this is the, the purpose and the, the joyful and often challenging, but the, the truly beautiful process of a lifetime is to become who you are, you know, and to get to know the self, not to be a good person, not to be a bad person, but to actually, you know, be able to encounter all of the, the essential essences of you, you know, and, and let them be here. And I mean, I, I, this is, I think why I think that the preceding belief, you know, that people are basically good is very important because if we're going to let ourselves be or, or start, you know, uh, even entertaining the possibility that without all of these like rigid structures as human beings, that we're not going to be, you know, nihilistic psychopaths if we let ourselves like just go, Right. So right, because sometimes to, it feels like maybe the bad part is the real me. <laughs> it's, totally. I mean, that's the thing. But this is, that's the reality of the, the so-called shadow self, right? Is that whatever we suppress in us controls us more than anything else. And we, because we cannot let it out, you know, and still love ourselves. And, and so we're constantly spending tons of energy trying to keep that dark side of us down, right? The angry part, the jealous part, the mean part, you know, but when Mm. we let it out and, and we love it, you know, the way that, again, I think about children a lot of the time and what I aspire to do with my kids is that when they are whatever they are, my job is not to tell them to not be that way. My job is not to tell them, you know, to cut off from that part of them. My job is to tell them what it feels like and help them co-regulate when anger comes up, when sadness comes up, when anxiety comes up, because it's all going to happen in their life at many, many, many times, right? And so mm-hmm. if I, as a parent, say, no, I like you when you're not angry, so my child learns to cut off from their anger and put it down in a box, that anger and their resistance to that anger will control them for the rest of their human life until they decide to go in there and, I mean, in a sense, be a good parent to themselves and actually say, can I love myself even when I'm angry? And when mm-hmm. we do that, we let anger flow. You know, it's it's an energy form, right? It wants to flow. Our physical body can heal because stuck emotional energy affects our physical body. You know, we will be able to relate to other people with great intimacy. Intimacy requires that we're not trying to hide parts of ourselves from other people, right? Mm Because if we're truly intimate with someone, you know, and we're trying to say, oh, but I'm not an angry person and I'm not a sad person or I'm not an anxious person. I'm trying to put these things back here because they're bad, right? 
then we can't possibly be close to people, like truly close where we can go, look at me with all of my messiness, you know, and, and I'm, I'm still lovable, right? And, and we are allowed to reclaim this. This is actually, you know, a, a true state of, of human existence. And, and we don't have to be in this ego rigidity all the time, right? I mean, children come into the world not worrying about whether or not they are lovable. You know, they learn very quickly that certain parts of them are and certain parts aren't, you know, but we all came mm-hmm. in here as spirit, as as a, a, a conscious, you know, unified self, right? But how do we also, I mean, not but, like, yes, I hear that. <laughs> First of all, I'm just like, but anyway, uh, how do you? <laughs> no, I, I agree. And I think that what's tricky about hearing, like, you know, love your anger, love your more sharp, jagged edges is that it's mm-hmm. like, if you do, if you are genuinely committing to not causing harm in the world it feels mm-hmm. almost and maybe because I particularly have a very smart mouth so I know that I can like <laughs> my pain I, I I just am like you know put it out before I even recognize mm-hmm. it's there maybe mm-hmm. that's where I meditation comes in but <laughs> I, I I feel like it's like what how do you hold those darker emotions and express them, but not cause harm with them. It, there is this kind of thing that it feels like I am not only protecting myself from these darker energies, but I'm protecting the people I love around me and protecting the world around me. Because, I mean, we've all experienced those people who just like dump truck all their stuff on everyone around them. And it's like, oh, I don't want to be that. See, but even the language that you just used, I am protecting myself from these darker energies. These are not darker energies. These are natural human energetic experiences of being anger. Anger is necessary. And if we don't have a good relationship with it, it does spew out all over the place when all of a sudden it gets to a play or a point where we can't control it anymore. But so long as we are controlling it and trying to, we're pathologizing it, right? And we're trying to block mm-hmm. it down and say anger is a bad thing then it, again, it will control us more because we're trying to block it down and then it'll overwhelm us at certain points and actually do harm in the world, right? When mm-hmm. we have peace with our, you know, the multitude of our human emotions, we, we have emotional intelligence and we're able to navigate anger, anger comes up as this really useful and, and meaningful um, suggestion that you need to say no to something, Right. And we can say no without hating the other person, which generally happens. We hate the other person because they made us feel something we don't want to feel. So if we are okay with mm-hmm. our feelings and we're okay with our anger, we're not going to hate that person. We're going to say, I am not okay with your behavior. Go away, right? I, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, but like, I, I know that you do not experience me as an unboundaried person. I am not an unboundaried person. I am very clear with what I will and will not tolerate in my life in all uh, all aspects. But mm-hmm. I don't need to viciously attack someone when they've done something that I'm not okay with. I feel my anger, it comes up, and I say, nope, you know, and then the anger can continue on its way and go back into the universal force to be recycled. But if the anger comes up and I don't have a good relationship with it, I'm going to stuff it down. And then the next time it comes up, I might do the same thing. And the next time it might comes up, it might do the same thing until finally it gets to the point where it overwhelms me. And I might unleash a whole lot of backlogged anger that has nothing to do with the person standing in front of me on them. Mm. Right. And that is a violent yeah. act. 
And that is what we do do most of the time. That's exactly what I do. That's what things from like 2016 that I'm like, I'm holding on this rage and (laughs) And now it's your fault. Someone just looked at me wrong. Yeah. Okay, so what about... Yeah, go ahead. Question there, because it's like the way you're talking about it is still framed slightly differently than even like Buddhist philosophy, which is considering those emotions hindrances so when you hear the word hindrance it's like there Mm -hmm. there does feel like hindrances don't belong Mm -hmm. i cannot have hindrances and also be an enlightened person well, and so I would discriminate, I, I suppose. Myth, but, you know. <laughs> it's happening. It's totally <laughs> happening. It's happening for all of us. I believe. I, I really believe. Um, so hindrances, you know, as I understand it in Buddhist tradition, that hindrances are the ultimate hindrance to, you know, abiding in an enlightened state or being able to move into enlightenment. Enlightenment uh, as this, you know, perfect expression of total equanimity with existence, okay? Now, Mm -hmm. along the way to that place, to that ultimate goal, if you will, um, Buddhist theology teaches a lot about um, you know, the the demons, the energies, uh, such as like Ekajati, who we've talked about before, who is this like crazy demonic uh, female. She's she's like the, what are they, the mother of tigers. She's got a dead tiger around her waist. She's got one breast, one tooth, and one eye. And she's just terrifying. And she is this wrathful demoness, you know, and and often in Buddhism, as in, uh, I think, Hinduism, too, there's often female deities who are wrathful, you know, and and they're not bad. You know, there's there's no bad and good in, in, in Buddhist teachings. What they are is is the energy that we call upon to be able to say no, like that's not okay with me, right? And we actually ask for Ekajati to teach us to have a good relationship with that wrathful energy. Now, wrathful energy does not mean I'm going to take all the shit that I've been compiling since 2016 and I'm going to throw it in your face right now, right? That's <laughs> yeah. not, you know, that in the moment when we are having something happen that we're not okay with, the wrathful energy allows us to say no to that to that action, right? And that, yeah, we all need to be able to feel good with anger, to have a good relationship with those energies, you know? And and the same thing goes for all of the energies, you know? Sometimes sadness comes up and we, we often don't know how to give it space. We don't know how to feel it. We don't know how to make it sacred, right? And so we shut it back down again. How do we learn mm-hmm. how to have a good relationship with these things so that, you know, they don't build up over time, and eventually overwhelm us, right? I mean, that is what depression is, is depressed sadness. We've been putting it down for so long that eventually it overwhelms us and we can't function anymore, right? And you Mm -hmm. look at, again, this, uh, it is the pathological kind of relationship with emotions of going, oh, these ones are good. We like these ones. You know, we can have happiness and joy and, you know, like those are all good, but these ones over here are bad. And who decided that? You know, like this idea of these being dark energies you know I, I i disagree wholeheartedly with them being dark they are the human condition you know and how do we mm-hmm. transcend the duality of thinking of ourselves in terms of those light and dark components right mm-hmm. so why this is a kind of another maybe out there question but it's like there does seem to be 
ones that are larger themes in our lives. So it's like Mm. someone's largest hindrance, we'll call it. So it's not like a good, bad thing, but it's like someone's largest hindrance may be anger, but another person's might be sadness. Another person's might be lust or or whatever. So it's like, is that just a karmic thing that it's like, I'm always going to have to contend with I think for me, it vacillates between anger and sadness. I think those mm-hmm. tend to be my two ones that pop up uh, the mm-hmm. most often. So it's like, is mm-hmm. that just like I I am karmically built to deal with those two main things and it's going to be that way for the rest of my life? Well, I, I wouldn't be that fatalistic. I, I have great... <laughs> Great hopes and, and intentions. I'm in the mood today. <laughs> you really are. Just like <laughs> everything's awful. We pulled the ego card. There's no hope for anything. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, happy Thanksgiving, Allison. Just kidding. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm just Eeyore today. I can't it's help it. awesome. It's it's fantastic. You know, it gives us a lot to talk about. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I don't think that I mean I I, I yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly that this is your lot in life, you know, and mm-hmm. and I think that uh, as I often propose, you know, we can have some quality of celebration maybe in going, okay, these are the things that I need to befriend. These are the emotional states, the energetic states that are difficult for me, you know, that I want to to reintegrate in my system, you know, reintegrate into my wholeness. And I mean, as we talked about before, shamanic practice is becoming whole, right? So wholeness does not mean, yeah, except for my anger and my sadness, you know, if they could just fuck right off, then everything's going to be okay here, you know, like that's not how it goes. Wholeness is... I contain all possible states that a human being can exist in and I love all of them and thus none of them control me and I can be myself, you know, and and, and what does that look like? It looks like a self-actualized person, someone who's got awe and curiosity and openness and, and generosity, you know, and, and again, this is, this is my belief, but it's also what science and psychological research is telling us, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think that we, we will be encoded in a sense. Actually, this is a good place to offer. Someone wrote to me and asked if we would talk about um, soul codes, you know, and that's that's really in essence, I think what you're asking, Alison, is like, is that my soul code? Well, yeah, I would say in this incarnation, in this lifetime, that's that's what it is that you need to learn how to love, to bring back into your own sense of wholeness and say, even though I have anger and sadness, because I have anger and sadness, I am such an inherently worthy and lovable person, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I belong and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be here and, and I'm not irredeemable. And, and when we can do that, the ego has no control over us anymore, right? It's, we're not trying to create an idea of this is who I am so I can be loved. And those parts over there have to stay over there or no one's going to love me. You know, it's not true. Mm -hmm. It's really not true. You know, is that people who have healthy relationships with anger, they actually, you know, tend to people accept them as, as being, having anger sometimes and they're okay with it. Right. We can we can love a person in all of their complexity, and we can love ourselves in all of our complexity. So then, it's it's really like the root root of it is caring less what other people think of you because of whatever it is you are. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? I mean, ultimately, but it's. I mean, I I guess I rely and have relied 
pretty intensively on shadow work as a mechanism of of you know getting to know myself you know and the the there's very many techniques and and mechanisms um, in different ways of practicing shadow work but the general you know consensus is you see somebody doing something you don't like you know or you don't agree with or you don't like their behavior or whatever and and you distill in if to the best of your abilities what it is that they're doing down to like the core energy of it you know is that they're being selfish or they're being jealous or they're being bitter or you know whatever and and then the practice and so long as we have cultivated and and created as best as we can a space of safety in ourselves because the reality is is that you know to ask ourselves to do this inner work to look at ourselves when we don't feel safe is often not possible for us right and this is the big challenge in the world right now is that people don't feel psychologically safe and and the way we create and, and experience psychological safety is through human connection sometimes you know although most humans don't feel that safe to us you know but this is why i think shamanic practice is so important right now is that it's it's seeing ourselves surrounded, feeling ourselves surrounded by the natural world, loving us and reminding ourselves that we are safe there, that the trees don't judge us. They don't want us to be different. They have no interest in our ego or how many shoes we have, you know, like they are just wanting to love us. And so reminding ourselves of, you know, needing to do that first and then looking mm-hmm. within ourselves and saying, do I do that sometimes? You know, am I jealous sometimes? And I often say to clients, and I experience this myself, especially when I'm doing this with my husband, because, you know, it's really easy in your intimate relationships to be like, no, he's like that. And I am never like that, (laughs) you know, and but I say it takes about three to five days. I'm a bit of a slow learner sometimes for my psyche to give it up, you know, in a sense and go, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're like that, too. And the experience is always an overwhelming expansion of the heart space. It's not, you know, like, oh, God, I'm such a disgusting person. It's this sense right. of unification with the other person. So long as we can go beyond the, often there's a competitive comparison kind of, you know, thing that emerges of like, yeah, well, I'm not as bad as them. They're like way worse than I am, right? <laughs> yeah. So we got to wait, sit with it and sit with it and go, okay, can I just feel that I have this aspect of humanity in me too? And and again, what emerges out of that, Alison, we don't just let people do what they're doing that offend our, our soul self, you know. We will still, we will set very good boundaries, but we're not going to judge them as an irredeemable, you know, piece of shit human being, right? Because we mm-hmm. have this sense of, I get it. I totally do that sometimes too. This liberates us because then we're not in a battle, an inner war with that energy, that emotional energy. It liberates how we interact with other people, you know, and it also liberates our good boundaries. This is what good boundaries come from, is is not from, you know, drawing a really hard line in the sand and saying like, wow, I'm so angry at you, you know, because I'm unloading everything that I haven't processed on you at this moment, because you finally, you know, pushed me enough that I'm going to say no. Those boundaries tend to become prisons for us, you know, because they're hard, they're rigid, they're they're not functional, right? I I don't, mm-hmm. you know, suggest to people to practice that kind of boundary setting, but this is, you know, healthy ego creation. Because even when we transcend the the pain based ego, the fear based and and neurotic ego, as we call it, we still need a healthy ego, which is, you know, who are you as a person? What do you love? Mm-hmm. 
What makes you absolutely ecstatic? You know, when are you your most joyful? Those are your healthy ego definitions, and they're going to be with you for life. I mean, we are, again, as human beings, you are Alison Strickland. I am Ciel, and we are going to be separate beings for this lifetime, you know, but we don't have mm-hmm. to have our self-definition based in pain and separation and othering, you know, and this is, to go back to the card, is the last card in the deck, as you mentioned, you know, and it's in this this section of the others, the bacteria, the viruses, the ego, and I'm going to be releasing a new card. And those of you who have a deck, um, yeah, one card that's going to be added and it's a secret card and it's going to come out soon. So once I get everything done, um, but we have these others, these energies that we say, you know, these should not be here. You know, this pandemic, everyone going, oh my God, this virus, that's this horrible thing. We're not going to get into it in this episode, but viruses, they're not other. The, the majority of your, you know, your cells rely on in, in um, viruses that have been enclosed in your cellular system in order to make energy. Viruses are not horrible. I'm not saying that we run headlong into it, you know, but mm-hmm. I am saying that like we, so long as we're in this dualistic experience with life of going, here's the bad, here's the good, then we're going to be unhappy, right? And can we transcend mm-hmm. that and see instead that we all have an ego, it controls us, you know, and if we want to be free, if we want to be truly healed, you know, we're going to be working on looking at our own stuff and and relating differently to the people in the world because of it. Right? The Knowing is an IntelliKey production. And was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sukhwapmik people. All music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. Mm